Ever had a stupid question? Well, we're here to answer it. Welcome to This is a Stupid Question, but I'm your host, Mahnoor. And I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where we find all our smart answers to all our stupid science questions. And today, we're answering the stupid question, what are emotions? (laughs) And why are you asking this question today? (laughs) Well, we're doing something exciting. We're going to feature on another podcast called First Time Films, Mm -hmm. um, where we're going to talk about the movie Inside Out. And for people who've watched Inside Out or people who don't know, in general, it's about this little girl and inside her head are her emotions, which are different characters. And it's like the journey they go through as she goes through changes in her life. Um, So we're going to be covering the science part in that episode. So we thought it would be good to give a longer description (laughs) in our own. Yeah, since we were were studying it anyway, why not? talk yes. about emotions a bit more turns out emotions are oh my much God, more complicated, so complicated than i thought <laughs> this was really hard it's just i think it's also because the fact that we like in general we just don't understand emotions fully yet so everything we're learning is half okay, not just us like no no, no not us yeah like <laughs> science in general has not figured out any to be fair most of the things in our brain science has not figured out but emotions was one of those things and you're like is this true or have we changed the theory like where are we at now and no one wants to tell me it made me reconsider everything I was feeling <laughs> I so I've come out of this being like so reality does not exist that's my mm-hmm. <laughs> takeaway and yeah by the time I got to that point I was like okay we're done researching <laughs> we're in, it's done existential crisis has happened yeah had the crisis um, but yeah so Amy what are we gonna talk about well, I think we're kind of just going to have a conversation about it because there's so many aspects that we can't really break it up into different parts. I've got like a good chunk on the history of our opinions on emotions and mm-hmm. why we're now at the point where we believe emotions are one thing compared to what they, we used to think they were. So I think I'm going to go through that and then you're going to tell us why our emotions happen. Right? Yeah. I, I believe so. <laughs> You're going to attempt to track Taylor's Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to just going to weave it in as you talk. We'll see how it goes. This is, yeah, this is an experiment that. today, people. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought it'd be quite funny to give you a little quote to start off with. And it yes, pretty much always. sums up my feelings or my emotion on this podcast episode. And it's from Fear and Russell in 1984. And they said that everyone knows what an emotion is until they're asked to give a definition then it seems no one knows <laughs> and that's pretty true i think what am i feeling yeah what is an emotion overall though most scientists believe some version of the view that an emotion is characterized by loosely coordinated changes in five compartments so that's changes in feeling so that's your subjective experience so how an individual feels about it your changes in cognition, so that's how your attention changes, your perception and your appraisals of the situation. What action you then take in response to this signal. Expression, so that's facial, vocally and posture. And also physiology, so what's happening inside your body to make these changes. So biologically then, what is happening is that when we see a stimuli from the outside world, the command centre in our brain, which is the amygdala, and for those of you who are fans of Inside Out, that's probably the headquarters of <laughs> <laughs> the emotions in the movie. This headquarters or this command center they decides what to do with the information that has been the stimuli. It will induce the induction of neurotransmitters, which are basically just chemicals that neurons produce. 
and these relay signals through other neurons until they reach target tissues and tell that tissue how to respond to the signal. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different neurotransmitters, but obviously a lot of them can overlap because emotions can overlap in a way. Yeah. So when you have things like fear, they have similar characteristics to excitement. Mm-hmm. You so, can be like happy and sad at the same exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> so there's there's um, neurotransmitters that are shared. Um, one you've probably heard about is oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, but I'm so, not sure. I think it's happiness. It? Kind of happiness is known as the cuddle chemical. Oh, oh wait, and, yeah, because it produces in um, when you hug babies. Exactly. And what's really cool is that when um, uh, someone is breastfeeding their new baby, when the baby starts to suckle at the nipple, this re- releases an oxytocin in the mother, which oh. induces milk to go to the gland to feed oh, the baby. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually used for the milk production. It's, they're very useful, these <gasps> these things. Other ones you've probably heard of are dopamine, which are which is important when you anticipate a reward or see yeah. something where you're going to get a reward. So that's mm-hmm. kind of happiness or, yeah, reward. Oh, I know this thing. <laughs> Sorry. I remember this Go thing about oxytocin. So in females, you start producing it like whilst you're pregnant, essentially. So you start bonding to your child when it's in you. Mm-hmm. But men will only start producing it when they hold the baby for the first time. And that's oh. when kind of like their parental instinct almost kicks in and that bond kicks in. Whereas for mothers, it's been there the whole time. Which Yeah, oh. I, I also heard that it's important to the actual birth part of um, oh. giving birth to the baby, like the contractions that happen in the uterus. But yeah, it's these these kind of things are important for a number of different emotions. You've also got ones like, well, adrenaline, which is important for mm-hmm. when you feel fear and you need to get out of a situation. But I wanted to ask you why you actually think we have these emotions. Uh, like, so if we're thinking evolutionary, there was probably some form of benefit, wasn't it? Like everything we did was for a reason. Um, I guess nowadays it's still applicable, isn't it? You want to be... Well, friendly is not an emotion, but you want to be a nice person. You want to be happy. You want to, you know, emote so other humans can relate to you. Because like psychopaths, for example, have no emotions. So (laughs) you find those people weird. No offense to psychopaths. Um, But you find those people like, you know, something's off in that human and you wouldn't trust them. So I think emotions just make you human and make you more relatable to other humans and make you more likely to find a mate, you know, all that stuff. Is, yeah, is my theory. <laughs> That's pretty much it. So the main thing when it comes to not just humans, but other primates and actually all species, the main thing, and this is quite philosophical, what's the meaning of life? But the main reason that we have certain emotions and the things that we do is just to survive. Mm-hmm. All animals and all species, all we want to do is survive, but not just individually survive, but also survival of our species. Yep. So there's a few different ideas about emotions and I thought I would just go through the history and that's when we start to see the integration of the different theories. Mm-hmm. But the initial theory is the idea that we have basic emotions. So this one's actually really old. Even the Li Qi or the Lai Qi, which is a collection of precepts and rituals, can be dated back to at least the first century. And this identifies seven inherent feelings, joy, anger, fear, love, dislike and fondness. The idea that we had these kind of core uh, emotions obviously that's really old the first century but it maintained throughout time and we have we've talked about Hippocrates before you know the father of modern medicine yep and he had that humor theory where the body's made up of all these different humors yes. and the, and 
everyone has their own balance, but an imbalance could cause disease. We talked about this in the cancer episode. Yes, throwback. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, check out the cancer episode. Check out our first episode. <laughs> anyway, he suggested that if you had too much blood in your veins, you were a quick-tempered person. Which I kind of see where he's coming from, more blood. Because you dilate when you get yeah. angry, the fight or flight. Okay, cool. Exactly. If you had more flame, you're quite peaceful, but I can't say this word. Logaburious? I have no idea what that word is. It kind of means like gloomy. Oh, okay. Logaborious. Logaborious, maybe, yeah. Okay. Never used it. Nope. Um, But if you had increased black bile, which was interestingly the one that he thought caused cancer, Mm -hmm. you also had more melancholy, which... Oh, which makes you sad. uh Uh-huh. But melancholy also just means black bile. Oh, oh, that's uh-huh. cool. I like yep. that. Um, but the more modern concept of emotions and actually being linked to the brain and not just this black bile theory um, was can be traced back to the mid 17th century when Thomas Willis, who was a London anatomist, he used to dissect hanged criminals and check out what was going on in the body. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the first people to propose that feelings like joy were controlled by the nervous system. Oh, yep. Yep. But really at this point, we didn't have something what was called emotions. It, say, it said in one of the papers I read, um, before 1830, no one felt emotions. Instead, they felt things like passions or accidents of the soul or moral sentiments. Accidents of the soul. I like that I one, like yeah. that. <laughs> so it wasn't until the early 19th century in Edinburgh, actually, mm-hmm. when a philosopher, Thomas Brown, suggested that we needed a new word to define the study of these feelings or passions. And he coined the word emotion, which was already used in English from the French word emotion. Um, and this basically came from the Latin word out and move. In English, it was usually imprecisely to describe the movements of objects from the swaying of the trees to the blush of red on hot cheeks. But he decided to coin it as the a scientific word to describe feelings oh. or passions. So this is when I started getting really interested. So a lot of scientists at the time started getting really interested in the study of these emotions, including the famous Charles Darwin. Oh, yep. So we all should know Charles Darwin is the father of evolution and the idea of natural selection. But did you know that he's one of the most prominent scientists when it comes to the study of emotions? Oh, I didn't know that. But that guy did everything, didn't he? He did. He dabbled <gasps> in all those sciences. Wow. So this takes us back to the idea then about if a species wants to survive. Mm-hmm. So Darwin was the one that said that natural selection means that different features of a species will stay in the population if they give you a survival advantage. Yep. Right? And he sent out lots of questionnaires to missionaries and explorers who were travelling across the globe and he asked them to describe how the indigenous people that they came across, how the people experienced grief and excitement Mm-hmm. And, and by that I mean, what did their face look like or what did their body look like? He also studied on himself and his family, including his young child, William, where he uh, even wrote in one of his articles, on his eighth day, he frowned much and at little, <laughs> under, <laughs> and at little under five weeks, he smiled. Oh. So he was thinking that when he got these surveys back, people all over the world were all showing similar features of similar emotions Mm -hmm. so maybe if you were angry you'd frown your eyebrows or if you were happy or smiling sad maybe you 
your eyelids were droopy, you looked yep. a bit gloomy, that kind of thing. So that basically <laughs> relates to the theory of like he believed, along with like a lot of other th- thinkers, that emotions have fingerprints and by fingerprints i mean like something specific happens in your body and that is anger and that's sadness that is happiness etc and one of the proofs that they had was like they traveled around the world and they showed people pictures and be like what kind of emotion is this and they'd be like happy sad and they're like so all these people in different cultures and places can recognize these emotions so that means that it's something ingrained in our brains so there must be a fingerprint for it somewhere um so they use that as proof that the fact that people around the world could recognize the same emotions all the time about the evidence of why that actually wasn't that true. They're Western people showing, not Western people, emotions and being like, what does that mean? Angry? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's the truth was like that. So uh, they went to this tribe called the Himba tribe. This researcher was trying to replicate these studies and she showed them the pictures and they were, so they showed them a picture of someone who was like, uh, frightened and they were like he's just looking um, and they showed someone that who was angry and he was like he looks surprised or something along those mm-hmm, lines mm-hmm. and then what they found out was the initial researchers that went kind of just did that they showed them pictures they're like is this angry or sad <laughs> but before they even did that they even they're like this is what angry looks like this is what sad looks like now mm-hmm. what does now what is this so mm-hmm. obviously you've just given the people the answers you want from them yep. so no <laughs> That's not how this theory works. doesn't work basically i think um some of his ideas and theories were quite sound so in his book he would draw out facial facial expressions but this is what angry looks like and stuff mm-hmm. but he also would draw out animals and and be like one of the features of emo- having emotions is that you can also recognize other people's emotions and you can also recognize other species emotions so if you had a cat and it went up on its um you know oh. they put their back up really high and their mm-hmm. hair sticks up and maybe their face looks a bit like they're going to growl or yeah what does a cat do i don't know you have one and yeah, what's that word <laughs> purr no like hiss hiss oh hiss <laughs> um then we can recognize that the animals may be feeling a threat oh yeah same with dogs if they're just calm then they're maybe peaceful but if they start to back away or they, they show their teeth then they're feeling a threat as well they're yeah. getting more aggressive but would we say that they have emotions so that's that is the issue <laughs> what is an emotion that's but thing, we'll right? get to that <laughs> anyway i thought it was just quite funny to note that not everyone loves darwin or loved darwin's work even mm-hmm. his fiance at the time emma wedgwood has been known to have said you will be forming theories about me and if i am cross or out of temper you will only consider what does this prove yeah. <laughs> he sounded like the kind of guy who just did that he's like what does this mean scientifically yeah. though i know what you're like just shut up and eat. Up, but please i'm trying to do our research exactly i'm just trying to have a normal conversation with you darwin yeah <laughs> In any case, in his 1872 book, which he published, The Expression of Emotions in Man and Animals, which I don't think is his most no, famous, not his book, famous def- work. Yeah, <laughs> not his famous work, but famous in the emotionology world. Um, he made the claim that emotions are a result of millions of years of evolution, and he thought that emotions were as basic and as as important as breathing he's known to have said in this book in however complex a manner this feeling may have originated as it is of one uh, one of high importance to all those animals which aid and defend one another it will have been increased through natural selection for those communities which included the greatest number of the most sympathetic members would flourish best and rear the greatest number of offspring 
Mm-hmm. And that makes sense because if you're going to, um, if you're a species and you're procreating, you also need to look after the offspring that you have. Yeah. And that's maybe where things like your compassion mm-hmm. can help you survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Um, so basically the overall theory then that Darwin helps promote and still that was the one that's popular today is this basic emotion theory that we have certain emotions that have helped us survive and that's why they've maintained. So um, caring for someone in the, in your family, be that offspring or a partner, maybe that's love, happiness, feeling mm-hmm. in a community. Fear, because you see a threat, you have to back away from the threat get, and get back to safety. Disgust, if you see a bit of food that's maybe rotten, mm-hmm. you know not to eat it because it could be dangerous. Um, sadness, I think, is more hard to explain, but potentially, again, something to do with bonding and showing your vulnerability yeah. and bonding within the community. I think it's like the vulnerability side of yep. it, so you can show that you trust each other. Exactly. Um, and then the last one probably being anger, where, again, similar to fight and flight, getting ready to fight off a threat. Mm-hmm. So by the late 1800s, the idea that emotions were inherited reflexes was really established, but not everyone's seen it this way. Have you heard of Sigmund Freud? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just him. Just him. Very famous psychologist that came up with a lot of the theories that we know today. Um, In 1890, he abandoned his career as a neurologist. Did you know that? Okay. And this is one of his reasons, I'm sure he had more reasons, was that he thought that it wasn't enough to just talk about things like prolonged sorrow as reflexes of the body. He thought there was more to it than just like this an, is a built-in mechanism. Yep. Because of him, a lot of the things we think about emotions are still about today. So, you know, the idea that you can repress, repress an emotion or an emotion can build up and require venting. Yep. Or that we can't even recognize some of our emotions until they slip up accidentally. And then you go, oh, that's why I was feeling that. Oh, yep. Yep. Right. So, this is the history and this is where we're up to today. Therefore, the Victorians are responsible for two of the main ideas about emotions today. So, the the idea that emotions are evolved physical responses um, and that they can also be affected by unconscious minds. Mm -hmm. So, that's the two prominent theories then. I think, as a non-professional who just started researching (laughs) this like a week ago, I think it's probably a combination of both. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that not that potentially we've got a little bit of something basic in us that helps us survive, but we're not really built. We're not built to live in the world that we do today. Does that make sense? Yes. So I'll come to that because yeah, that's basically where the conclusion that I kind of came to or Mm -hmm. from like what I read, but yeah. So the first one is um, this basic emotion theory and it's actually what the movie Inside Out is prominently based on. And its theory suggests that all primates, including us humans, have a number of basic or primal emotions that we've evolved. They're automatic emotions and not necessarily conscious emotions. But they act as building blocks to form other emotions which are not so basic. So if you think like a mixture of maybe sadness and happiness would give you maybe nostalgia. Yes. Yep. So... The, the emotions that are included in this list of basic emotions, they vary between different researchers. But there's a few well-known advocates. So one of them is Paul Ekman, who actually was one of the advisors on the movie Inside Out. Oh, was he? He was, yes. I thought he was really old and, like, dead by now. No, no, he's still, he's I still thought, kicking. He's like, 
an actual guy. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and he's one of the like the main guys in the evolutionarily emotion yeah. emotional fields. He came up with like the six main emotions. Yep. The six basic emotions. So he had disgust, fear, surprise, anger, happiness, and sadness. One of the other main advocates was Robert Plutchik. Okay. Plutchik. I can't pronounce his name. He proposed eight <laughs> basic emotions and they were kind of linked by opposites on a wheel. Oh, so yeah. you would have, you know, this one, joy and sadness, mm-hmm. anger and fear, trust and disgust, and anticipation and surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so other groups have proposed more or less, but they all have this main common view that they've given us a survival advantage and that they're ingrained in humans and primates. So the, the, the guess the scientific um, basis or the evidence we have for um, the basic emotions is the idea that when we see a threat, we have increased blood pressure, which is allowing us to pump more oxygen to our tissues. We have widened, widened eyes to be able to see the situation and get ready to fight or flight. And we have avoidance behaviour. And this isn't just us, this is other animals mm-hmm. show the same kind of thing. Surprise is similar, but it lets us react quickly to an unexpected situation. Um, disgust lets us recognise rotten food and, and to avoid it. Happiness lets us bond and create a collaborative community and care for members of the community, including young offspring. Sadness is probably to do with benefiting the bonding of communities and showing mm-hmm. trust, trust and vulnerability. And anger, again, related to fight or flight. So without the ability to perceive and react to situations, we have increased risk of death, basically. We do. Mm-hmm. If we were just walking about not perceiving our situations, we would be vulnerable to many threats. Yeah. <laughs> Another um, important thing that backs up this kind of view is the ability, our ability to learn and remember. It allows our emotions to be based on past experiences. So if you've seen maybe a snake and you, mm-hmm. you, it, the snake had bitten you, then you always remember snake means threat. Yep. Yeah, again, other evidence is that we have, we see expressions of emotions in young babies before their ability to even communicate. So a baby crying or giggling, we, the, that baby doesn't know. Yeah, what it's the, doing. Yeah, it's not, doesn't know what the society it's like it's living in. Yeah. But it still shows emotion. But according to Paul Ekman, to be a basic emotion, you have to have certain things. And he's got 11 criteria. I'm not going to go through them all. Mm-hmm. But a few of them would be things like, you have universal and distinct signals. So that would be like changes in your face and body. Um, you've got characteristic physi- physiological changes. Um, they're rapidly onset. They're present in non-human primates and they emerge early in development amongst other um, characteristics of the basic emotions. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, probably yours and in many other people's opinion, this view is rather too simplistic yeah. to understand the complexity of all the emotions we feel and the some of them there's some examples which i thought were really interesting to explain how our emotions can be influenced by culture and time and the society we live in mm-hmm. so in not every culture now but well the one i live in for instance being sad is a bad thing you know everyone wants to be happy and cheery and life is good but back in 1533 there was a book released called castell of health by thomas Elliot, and this is pretty much a self-help book 
And he said that people should be practicing being sad because, for many reasons, one being it allows you to prepare if something sad actually happens. You won't be even more sad. You need to rehearse how to cry. Yeah. So, in other words, it was cool to be sad at the time. Oh my god! In theory, more people were sad back then. That's weird. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it's kind of like it's cool to be like stressed these days, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool to like not be good to your body <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's, it's not that there's more stress now it's just that pop or pop culture is stress yeah pop culture yep. is like pop culture celebrates the stress mm-hmm. whereas before exactly. pop culture celebrated sadness which is interesting because now we're mm-hmm. like if you're sad there's something wrong with you but mm-hmm. like so obviously it's... depression is a different thing this is just like your yeah, this is sadness just emotions. <laughs> this isn't, yeah, yeah. This is not severe psychiatric mm-hmm. disorders because that's a different ball game. But yeah, like just being sad, people are like, we need to fix this ASAP. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's just nice to be sad. Yeah, I, I well, agree with that self-help book. I don't think we would have sadness if it wasn't for because I do believe in the evolutionary theories to an extent. Yeah. I don't think we would have sad if it didn't give us some sort of advantage mm-hmm. and um, being able to like think back and reflect on past experiences sadness lets us look at what was good does that make sense inside out (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway there's other instances of emotions that were popular at the time and maybe not popular now or Mm -hmm. viewed on differently so for instance in the 12th century people would say i am yawning for love (laughs) what what do you mean you're actually yawning yep yawning is a sign of love rather than a sign of tiredness (laughs) yes isn't it these days it's like you just don't have enough oxygen in your body yeah that's a good question why do you yawn um there was early christians who lived in the desert and they experienced an emotion which i don't think the pronunciation is actually known but i'm going to go with it is acidia or acidia okay and basically it would happen every lunchtime Mm -hmm. these there's not a way to describe it in terms of modern emotions because this was an emotion that we are sad or angry emotion is this idea but it's kind of related to lethargy or despair and these people would they thought that flying demons brought it every lunchtime but it was really bad that people would try and leave the desert to get away from it it's probably to do with heat stroke or sunstroke yeah probably but this was an an emotion that people felt oh um i've got a few of these they're quite interesting another one is um boredom oh yeah i'm assuming you've felt bored Yep. Boredom wasn't a thing until the Victorians came up with it when they had more leisure time. Oh yeah, they were just chilling all the time, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Before that there was no time to be bored, so bored was is a, a relatively new emotion. That's so weird. <laughs> yep. And in fact, Charles Dickens was recorded as saying um that boredom was the misery of his age. So I guess the way our stresses the misery of our age. Yeah. And the Victorian the... times. Yeah. They must have been so bored, they had literally had nothing to do. <laughs> Yeah, the rich ones at least. But before that, it was boredom wasn't in the vocab because mm. it wasn't a feeling. That's so insane. So I spoke about nostalgia. Yes, being maybe a mixture of happiness and sadness. In 1688, a man called Johannes Hofer he coined the word nostalgia from the Greek words ache and home, so to ache for home, oh. um, and he coined it to describe the anxieties displayed by Swiss mercenaries who were fighting away from home, where people actually died from homesickness what it was that bad how do you 
die. <laughs> well, you're not at home right now, and I'm sure you experience nostalgia and homesickness. But, but I've never least... felt like like death. But at least you've got your phone and the ability to go home. Oh yeah, they were just by themselves. So they didn't kill themselves; they just died. Yeah. Some people killed themselves. Oh yeah. Some people ran away from their service as soldiers and were killed by the oh the so they didn't like just die in their sleep some I'm people sure. died <gasps> from nostalgia is what i'm telling you <laughs> it was on a death certificate as died from nostalgia and the, the last known person to have died of nostalgia was in 1919 and it was an american soldier who was fighting in world war one in france what i bet okay so i'm thinking my brain's trying to wrap around this mm-hmm. probably depression maybe well but it's different because depression is not missing home that's true but kind of in the sense that the nostalgia caused them to like stop eating stop yeah, taking uh-huh. care of the themselves symptoms. kind of symptoms similar to what depression mm-hmm. some symptoms of depression are but like that's insane you just that's like you know how elephants can die from a broken heart which apparently is true mm-hmm. turns out we can too to some mm-hmm. degree that's so weird i can exactly. die from not being home what? Cool. That's cool. Maybe not now, but the last person, just 101 years ago. Do you think it's still an official form of death? No, but I'm, I'm sure you could write things like depression. Under. Yeah, like depression would be, yeah. but like, I don't think anyone's going to put me down as nostalgia or anything. No. <laughs> um, if you want that to be put in your certificate, I'll write it on my will. <laughs> um, t- there's situations where emotions that are felt throughout time we no longer feel, but there's also emotions that still happen today mean you don't feel you feel this let me know but <laughs> there's the beaning people of papua new guinea who leave a bowl of water overnight to absorb the feeling a womb book okay and this is the feeling of gloom which happens when a much loved guest leaves oh i like so that a- i felt that before yeah. you know when you've had like a really nice day with someone and then they part ways and you're like oh now i go back to my life or the relief because you get to go and chill out depends on the day you're having yes (laughs) but they have a feeling for that we have the Pintupi people of western Australia have 15 distinct feelings of fear not just one fear they have a for instance they have a fear for when they think their enemy is plotting revenge on them I love that (laughs) that is a particular fear it happens so often that they're like we need a word Mm -hmm. rather than just I feel fear for Mm. this situation this is my particular fear Um, and then there's another group of uh, people in the Pacific Islands Pacific Islanders of Afuluk mm-hmm. what that place is but anyway they have a feeling called song which is basically the feeling that you've not been given your fair share oh I like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. The, this is what I mean why like we've pro- like I've probably felt that before as well I just never knew that was an emotion or a word mm-hmm. I was just mm-hmm. like I guess at that at a friend leaving I'd just be like sadness <laughs> yeah and like not getting I- my fair share I'd just be like slightly angry annoyed mm-hmm. oh I personally think that we have core um, responses mm-hmm. to certain stimuli, but, and this is not just my random view on things, this is like an established view, which you're going to talk about, I think, and it's the um, construction theory. Yes. Um, but basically that our emotions are influenced by culture, mm-hmm. po- political views at the time, medical understanding, religious views, and all that kind of thing, because... There's so embarrassment, for instance, has been suggested to be a core emotion because you want to 
prove your worth in the community that helps you survive. So if you do something wrong, you mm-hmm. feel the embarrassment and the shame because you've done something that doesn't fit the community standards. It's, it's not made it to the core list yet, but <laughs> it's I think it's pretty core. But maybe what I've been embarrassed about in my culture here is not something that someone on the other side of the world and mm-hmm. a different culture would feel embarrassed about. And I maybe wouldn't feel embarrassed about what they feel embarrassed about because it's just not what my culture tells me to be embarrassed about. Yep. And like, so you would never feel that emotion, essentially. Yeah. But it's still an emotion. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's not emo- it's someone's emotion. It's just different. Yeah. Um. But what's interesting is this is also Paul Ekman's paper. So I don't know how biased it is. But he surveyed emotionologists around the world. He gave them a and asked them questions. And he came up with, it came up with the results that around 80 to 90% of scientists believe some sort of universality when it comes to uh, in regards to emotions so potentially the um the stimulus or the 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 action mm-hmm. afterwards um but most people most scientists believe there was some sort of combination between biological and social factors um and then the last thing I want to touch on I watched this really good TED talk by Dr Oliver Jones mm-hmm. and he was did you watch this one? No, I forgot to watch it, so I'm excited to hear what was yeah, in it. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was really good because I think I was trying to get my head around it as well and I was like, I agree in the evolution, I agree in the the cultural stuff. And he was basically saying that how primates have been designed through evolution to get information and respond to that information. Yep. So early humans, they see the food, they eat the food, or they, they see the threat and they avoid the threat. Mm-hmm. We live in a situation uh, in today's culture for the vast majority of people that we have constant information constant 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 that we don't know what to do with and we so don't know how we're feeling at some points as well yeah because there's just so much for your body to be like what are we yeah. now <laughs> and there's no quick quick fix if you look online and you see all these stats about climate change or the political situation in your country there's not a quick fix it's not like i've seen this away it's i see the climate change happening but i can't deal with it yes and our our brains um, aren't set for that uh i watched the social dilemma finally um that you told me about but in it he was like evolutionary we've been programmed to get feedback from like the people in our community and that's how we respond and alter our behaviors we're not made to receive input from millions of people from around the world giving you either validation or criticism. Like you don't know how to handle so many opinions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, and like that shapes you. Mm-hmm. And now we've turned into like this constant stream of just receiving and receiving and like mm-hmm. a lot of people just can't process it. Exactly. Because everything we do is based on information that we remember. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you were if we didn't have the ability to remember, we'd still maybe experience emotions, but they would, wouldn't be as instant. Yep. Um, and if we're not getting a solution, then we'd never know how to deal with the problem, um, which is scary. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> Fun. Um, um, yeah. So does that segue into me now? I think it does. Okay. Cool. So it's just going to get more complicated. <laughs> from here on out so prepare your brains i think it's fascinating but it's more it's kind it's just like we're like realizing that like you don't understand your brain at all 
are just baffled. Not me. just that you don't understand your brain, that the people studying your brain also don't understand yeah, your like, brain. Yeah, <laughs> like, people just don't understand what this thing in our head, this mush of, like, cells is just doing. And, yeah, it just gets confusing. And then you start having an existential crisis. And you're like, I'm done now. Um, but, yeah, so, you, so you've talked about, like, the evolutionary side of it and in terms of, like, why we have emotions. Um, and then people have kind of tried to build up on that and try to figure out, okay, yes, so we have emotions, but like, how does it translate within our bodies, right? I have anger, I have sadness, I have joy, but like, what is my body doing to emote those feelings okay, that I right. have? So what's the, um, yeah, what's out. the link between like my brain and my body and how I'm, how is the other person understanding what I'm emoting mm-hmm. to them so there's theories that are based on like your brain's kind of in charge or your body's kind of in charge is how i've understood it i have to put okay. a disclaimer that if i've said anything that's wrong please feel free to correct me i've tried to understand this to the best of my ability <laughs> um, but there were so there's three main theories so the first two that i was going to talk about are the ones that are kind of like your body's heavily involved in this so one of them was the james la Lange. I'm going to zoom mm-hmm. his French. James launched theory of emotion, which basically su- suggests that emotions occur as a result of physiological r- reactions to the events. So you see a stimulus, your body reacts, and then your brain's like, oh, I was scared. So for example, you're walking ah. um, in the forest and a bear comes out, your heart rate goes up, you start sweating, the adrenaline kicks in, and then your body's like, oh, we're scared. It's taking cues from your physiological reactions to f- understand what the emotion is. But the brain had to tell your body to react like that. Yeah, so your brain was like, oh, we just reacted like this. And then the brain's like, it, it's kind of like hindsight in a way that your this theory suggests. So your body's reacted and your brain's like, oh, we were scared. So it's a yeah. result of the reaction. Your body's like, that was fear. That was sadness. I think that's the... Um same kind of theory is the basic emotions because it's yep. automatic exactly it without you consciously deciding to yes. sweat <laughs> yeah exactly and it's run. like this yeah. instinct in you mm-hmm. um and the other one kind of so the other one basically says that contradicts it in the sense that it's instant that your body starts reacting and you're scared um but also the fact that you can sweat you can have a heart rate increasing and your body won't be like we're scared it's just we're exercising it's a so your body because the first one suggests like that your brain kind of took all those physical reactions and put them together and put it into fear but you can have all those physical reactions and not be scared at the same time you could have your um flight or flight response fight or flight response kick in but you're just exercising not scared so how does or your brain not even exercising but say you're like um you're preparing for a presentation yes and you're scared but you have the same reactions as someone who's running away from a bear yep doesn't mean you're feeling the same threat the, yeah it's not the same kind of fear one's like mm-hmm. more nervousness one is like i will die <laughs> mm-hmm. any second so the other theory basically suggests that we feel the emotion and the physical reactions simultaneously um basically when you see the stimulus, there's a signal that goes into your brain and it simultaneously activates your fight or flight in this bear situation and at the same time goes to the part of your brain, the amygdala, right? Um, goes to the amygdala and be like, we're scared. So it's all happening at the same time. Okay. Um, so because you often start feeling scared before your body's even started sweating, right? So it's 
all happening at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. So those are two theories that are kind of like physiological based and both of them stem from what you've been talking about, like every, like this evolutionary instinct that we have. A lot. So the book I read, which was really good, is called How Emotions Are Made by Lisa, Lisa. Feldman. Bear. Yes, our girl. Lisa. I liked her. Yeah, I watched her TED Talk. Oh, she, I didn't know she had a TED Talk. I'm going to watch it. So let me ask you then, what do you feel emotion-wise when you've got, say, a cold or an illness or something that's making you sick? Uh, I feel tired and angry, a bit annoyed, a bit sad, depending on like where I'm at. But like mostly tired is and like lethargy would be the word when, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. um, when I'm sick. Yeah. Where are so you going with this? <laughs> there's a theory that your immune system is involved and in how your your emotions Ooh. portray as well. So that... I know for disgust it is. Oh. I'll come to that when you talk okay, about the six emotions. I don't know this one. Um, <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. But say, for instance, you've got um, an increased immune response because you've got a sickness happening. Mm-hmm. You've got a contagious virus, e.g. COVID. <laughs> Throw that one in there. Relevant. The last thing your body wants to do is expend energy on going outside, potentially catching another bug. Oh. It doesn't want to spread on the bug to other members of the community. So there's a theory that your immune system will contribute to you being tired and sad and not being social, basically withdrawing yourself from the community. Oh my God, that's really cool. So I like that. feel that backs up the evolution side of things. <laughs> I'm not saying evolution's completely wrong. I'm just saying it's not what's driving our emotions. <laughs> yeah. Or our perception <laughs> of our emotions. Our, yeah, that's the thing. I think yeah. evolution's driving our our emotions but our perception is based yes. on our emotional intelligence which is why i'm like what is reality anymore <laughs> a really good example of how like your brain understands of how like you have emotions but you have to process your emotions and that's how they get influenced and why there's differences in cultures so i don't know if you've heard of this but this was quite common a while back um there was a study done on judges in 2011 so you know your gut feeling um, of like this is not right or this is right or this is wrong um, so there was these scientists that found that judges were significantly more likely to deny parole on a prisoner if the hearing was just before lunchtime um, and the judges mm. said that they experienced these they're called interceptive sensations so interception mm-hmm. is your body looking at itself and being like our blood sugar is low whatever like um insulin's at a certain level the hormones are this and this so we feel like this right now mm-hmm. so these judges were feeling this like interceptive sensation of like a slight stomach ache and they were like i have a gut feeling that this person doesn't deserve parole and what they found was that if you make them do that same decision after lunch they're more likely to give them parole. Ah, so they were yeah. misattributing that same sensation that they felt probably they felt it during a gut feeling as well but this time it was because of hunger (laughs) and so this idea of like how you perceive your emotions has far-reaching effects it's not just like in your daily life of like whatever but it could influence how you interact with others how you do your job Mm -hmm. um so it's a bit insane (laughs) yeah i think um it was actually in, in lisa's ted talk again she showed a picture of um a guy who'd just been arrested, I think he'd just done some sort of terror attack. Mm-hmm. And um, it was his face basically 
and they Chad saw Dean swap emotion do you think he's feeling and they were like he's not remorseful because he has no change in his face he's just looking and he was like well interestingly the culture where he's from teaches him to basically not show emotions if they get if he gets um charged or caught by the police or whatever so his emotion was right for his culture it's just not what we knew they would label him a psychopath in this culture exactly Uh so i think it's important especially when it comes to juries and judges to understand the different cultures perception of emotions yep actually you were telling about one the other day was it in um Korea about the hierarchy of social groups so if you oh yeah you you have to look up to the the person who's older than you with respect yep but that's not really a thing here no so we so, look rude <laughs> yeah so you guys uh, wasn't it um there was this really famous plane crash that happened um and it was because the co-pilots would there was like a beeping in the cockpit mm-hmm. and the co-pilot wouldn't tell the pilot that there's something wrong because the pilot is in charge on the hierarchy so therefore he has more experience he is wiser and if he thinks this is not an issue then I don't have to bring it up whereas yeah. in this culture you're told to speak up even if like they're your boss if something's wrong you you're supposed to say so but what you're doing is actually rude and very disrespectful to your boss <laughs> and I'm sure the emotion you'd be feeling then like the pilot who never spoke up he'd probably be feeling shame if he never spoke up if he spoke up yeah and embarrassment because he'd done wrong for his culture but if I spoke up I'd feel brave yes like a hero because I saved the plane and exactly and yeah so it's a completely different thing and that's also when people move to countries here and they act a certain way people automatically label them as like antisocial or weird or etc but it's just that's what how they've been taught to process emotions and it's mm-hmm. different from you like it's not they're not weird they're just yeah they're just different to you <laughs> they're different to you yeah. and mm-hmm. it, that's why you have to understand where these people are coming from <laughs> oh, so cool it is yeah. but also makes you question like <laughs> this is the part in the book where i was like ah i'm done <laughs> um <laughs> where the idea of a rational human mind actually comes from mm. because humans prize themselves on the idea that like we're rational we have brains we have like these complex brains that are better than these animals but at the end of the day we're being led by emotions and but e- even though there's a stigma against it which is kind of counterintuitive yeah. like every time you do something stupid you're like that was thoughtless of me i didn't think when i did that um or like i was being led by my emotions but mm-hmm. you're always being led by your emotions yeah <laughs> guides the rational thought exactly there's no such so is there anything as any such thing as rational thought then that's something that's used against women so often that mm-hmm. we work through emotions but i'm like you as a man like not all men putting that out there um but like <laughs> ego and all that is still an emotion and you're leading your rational thoughts through those things yeah no totally there's um i listened to a podcast with dr dasher keltner okay. who i wrote down his name because he's also another advisor for inside out oh so and he was talking about in the workplace and emotions and how you, we've been taught in this cult in this like western society keep emotions out of the workplace because they don't give you rational thoughts but they done um, there's been groups that have done studies and looked at how you, you incorporate emotions and mm-hmm. a lot of businesses do better like economically wise when they include emotions and they allow their staff to, to show their emotions. Yes. 
does that make sense? Yeah, so no, if, you, if you know they're going through something, you can yeah. support them in a way. Because yeah. when they say rational thought, they just mean don't show like the sad emotions. Yeah. <laughs> um, show the other emotions. Show like I think like anger and ego and all that stuff and like confident like the way you show confidence and pride. Mm-hmm. Those are still emotions. They're just the emotions certain workplaces prefer. Mm-hmm. But then you're being taught to repress your other emotions, which is not gonna. Because that's what you, some people use that to lead their lives and mm-hmm. that helps them. It's not a crutch against them. Um, but yeah, so that makes complete sense that those people who are allowed to show their emotions did better. Because yep. if I wasn't allowed to feel sad, I would feel way worse. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, maybe I should rein it in sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm like, you're, you're a bit too much today. <laughs> so sad. Um, but yeah, so... That's the that's the theory of construction. Essentially, this is where mm-hmm. she got it from, that you construct your idea or your perception based on the input coming around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why every person's emotion is different from the rest. And I guess one last thing that I want to add is, so, so, which is kind of what we touched upon in the beginning, the way I express sadness differs from time to time. So why mm-hmm. is it that when I look at a picture of someone doing an exaggerated, like, um, uh, sad face right I can uh, be like this person is sad even though I've never made that face probably in my life and that's because throughout your life your brain has been averaging everything <laughs> um, so every time you felt sad or you've seen someone else feel sad you're like that's sadness that's sadness that's sadness so when someone shows you a picture that has like five or six of these emotion of these facial features combined mm-hmm. you're like that sadness my brain can average all of these inputs and then like that's the emotion or even if you've never so you've never seen that specific face my brain statistically has kind of combined all these predictions again and been like this is our most likely result from our data it's which like I think a, is cool bioinformatics yeah so she was basically saying like these faces are so she was like then why do we know these faces and she's like these faces are basically a stereotype and so your body your brain can recognize them Mm -hmm. but no one actually makes these faces over not all the time and at different rates Mm -hmm. your muscle might move slightly different than mine on one side like our face has 42 different muscles and we all move them differently Mm -hmm. um but yeah which i found cool so from what i understood from emotions is that it's there is an evolutionary thing. You have this basic concept. Mm-hmm. Your brain has been wired to process all this information, but it's the outside world that's going to tell you how to label them and how to f- almost feel about themselves. Yeah. Which is I, I think the same. But also makes my brain hurt. It makes my brain hurt. I think that, I think that there's nothing that humans have right now that hasn't been due to an evolutionary advantage so that's why Mm -hmm. i'm totally on board with the emotions being due to evolution and giving us a survival advantage i think maybe at one point in time they were more based on the the emotions or the processes that we've been given by evolution but we're now at a stage in society where our evolved process in their brain can't cope with the culture and the information we've been given yeah it's no longer like threats and survival it's like prolonged anxieties and no which is why the cases of depression and anxiety are so much higher Mm -hmm, i think mm -hmm. 
I think a part of it is to do with the fact that we have so much input and like the scientist basically in our brain is going crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> and be like, what does this mean? Yeah. What, how can we save ourselves from this? Yeah. And disaster, it might just be like maybe? this coping yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. That your brain's like, we're just anxious. Like we're so confused right now that it's just anxiety. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a bit insane. Yeah. Like I always think about this when it comes to things like exams, like technically we weren't designed by evolution to deal with sitting in an exam hall and feeling the stress. Like we're only designed to eat, sleep, procreate and survive. Like that's yep. it. <laughs> All these extra things uh-huh. are something I don't think we will evolve for them because like the world would have ended for them. Yeah, if you were to predict <laughs> That's them, what I always think. <laughs> if there's no climate um, change, would, would, we, yeah. would our emotions evolve? Our evolution is like, uh, yeah, if there wasn't, we might, but I don't think it would be for the betterment of the species. It might yeah. be. I think because um, we would have evolved for it, but I don't know. It's hard to predict. Isn't it is it? because uh, we. It's hard to know how evolution would handle it, if given the time to handle it. I think the most, um, like the best prediction or the best um, explanation of this kind of modern world is that social dilemma that I told you to watch. Yep, because. The, why that's important is that the, com- the companies like Facebook and Instagram and stuff, they understand these theories about emotions and what makes humans tick, tick. even. yeah. So why are we addicted to scrolling on our phones and getting new information? Because humans need inf- new information all the time. That's how we work. So they yeah. know these things and they've designed these platforms to exploit our exactly. emotions. Because your brain's always like, that's new information. We need to process it. It might help us survive. Yeah. And then you just keep taking in all in the way the new algorithms are designed that every time you refresh, you see something new. Mm-hmm. Because before it was by a time scale. Mm-hmm. So you, you would only see something new if someone had posted. But now it's always refreshing constantly. Mm-hmm. And you just have your brain's like, okay, we must take all this information in and make something yeah. of it. Because <laughs> even though it's useless, but your brain's like, but that's how we've evolved yeah. to do it. To your mind, that might be like good berry and bad berry in the field. Like it doesn't know what it's just like your friend's Instagram of them out eating brunch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then the anxiety, because it's kind of <clears throat> like how I, said, how I said, like you are now being judged by 10,000 people as well. So you're constantly looking for information of what people think of you mm-hmm. again. In an evolutionary sense, like, does your community accept yeah, you? Yeah, it's an important thing. Mm-hmm. But this is not your community. This is the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. I still haven't put a timer on my Instagram app, though, because I don't have time to look at Instagram these days. So I think I'm good. So you have a natural timer. <laughs> yeah, it's called doing a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do fall into that rabbit hole of just scrolling, even though my brain's like, we need to get up. We need mm-hmm. to get up. But I'm like, let's just keep scrolling. And then 20 minutes go by. Oh, my God. In the documentary when the girl broke the goddamn box to get her <laughs> yeah. phone. I was like, what? Well, that might be the, the new um, generation of humans that are just oh ruthless. God. Maybe ruthless is the next emotion. Maybe we're going over. back to cavemen. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, watch the documentary, people. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will explain emotions, but it will tell you how social media is manipulating them. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, um, this but is yeah. so difficult. Like, by the way, Googling what is an emotion will not get you anywhere. Oh my god, you really so need hard. to. This is it's probably be the one I've like stressed out, not stressed, but like worked the most for in a while because it's so yeah. complicated. But I, I also really enjoyed it because it was so sciencey mm-hmm. and there was just. 
because there was so much information that like it's it was those things because before we've been like if we do face value we can explain a lot of it and that'll be fine but with this one is like we have to dig a bit deeper because yeah. it's just so much happening yeah and even then i don't think i understand it but i do at the same time i think that's how most emotionologists feel <laughs> <laughs> well good on i wonder how they are as people because they understand emotions well a bit better than us well, I the, the, I listened to another talk and there's a book, I think, what's her name? Tiffany Watt-Smith. And she's mm-hmm. pretty much on the um, construction side as well. Although yeah. accepting the evolutionary things, kind of where we are. Yeah. And she was like doing her talk and she said, on the way here today, I felt stressed because I was running late for a train. I was angry at my kids for not getting ready in time. Then I seen a cute dog and I felt happy. And then uh, before I did the talk, I tried to relax by sitting in a garden drinking a coffee. And she's like, because I understand all this thing, I was like, why, what's going on in my body? Why do I need to sit in this garden <laughs> to relax? And she's just like constantly focusing on emotions. She's like, now my body's, it's, this is after like the sleep episode when I woke up sleep deprived and like, now my leptin is high mm-hmm. and my hormones low and that's why i feel like i want sugar right now <laughs> yeah it's another one where we readjust our lives yes cool oh I'm good yeah i have a fun fact yeah give me a fun fact you want it um so i have a fun fact about disgust so you know how um which is like sorry this is the thing i i foreshadowed about the immune system that i forgot to add mm-hmm. um women feel more disgust than men first of all okay because we have uh, you know how women have like are more selective with their sexual partners so you can have sexual disgust which is disgust against like a specific opposite disgust makes it sound like they're disgusting <laughs> but not but it's more in the terms of like lack of attractiveness okay can say so women have more disgust because we also have like this sexual disgust against men but the another type of disgust is like pathogen disgust where you think you're gonna get sick from it yeah um and some some people compare it to like a behavioral immune system where it's like your first line of defense against potentially deadly agents. Interesting. Bear with me. Okay. <laughs> Basically, it's your first line of defense before your immune system kicks in. Because your immune system yeah. doesn't want to handle every goddamn threat you come across. Mm-hmm. So disgust in a way is like a shield. Being like, we are not ingesting this. I don't want oh, to yeah, deal with this right I'm now. totally on board with that. If your food is rotten, it might have bugs and bacteria. Yes, and so you have disgust as... Yeah, exactly. Ah. So your disgust is a form of, like, immune defense against it. I like it. But um, pregnant women, you know how they feel more disgust morning when they're sickness, pregnant? Okay. Yeah, like morning sickness. But also, like, when women get pregnant sometimes, certain things that normally wouldn't make them, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. sick... Uh-huh. Yeah, like I had a friend whose mom, like when she smelled chewing gum, like peppermint chewing gum, she would feel nauseous. Mm -hmm. And that was just like a sign of pregnancy. And they think it's some form of like, um, again, like mechanism to basically you want to keep your immune system low. So you want to reduce the threat of anything entering your body. So your disgustness goes higher. Oh, that's cool. Because if your immune system is really like ranked up, um, it could. There's a chance it could attack the embryo. Yep, yep, which is yep. true. Uh-huh. So you want to keep your embry- immune system low, so your body's like nothing's coming in. Nothing, Anything nothing that is, is barely exotic. like 
exactly uh-huh. i want just like plain water <laughs> and just rice and i'm gonna call it a day um which i thought was really cool like your body's using your emotions to protect you i think um, we should do an episode on cravings and things like that because <gasps> that would, maybe yeah. they're all linked by that kind of emotion all emotions mm-hmm. yeah and i bet you like pregnant like again pregnant women might have certain emotions or cravings for some evolutionary benefit as well i wouldn't be surprised oh that's cool I know. Another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I guess to wrap it up, I think we've mostly talked about it already, but like, what's one thing people should take away if they zoned out from like this really long conversation? (laughs) (laughs) I think I I talked about what my theory on it is and what I believe, but I think my take-home message would be maybe not to assume that everyone will have the same emotions as you based on what your family and culture have taught you about an emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Yep. And mine is uh, pretty much like emotions are kind of almost a a figment of your imagination, but like you perceive your emotions according to your environment and we take in so much information constantly. So it'd be nice to just like kind of tune in with yourself sometimes. (laughs) Reflect. Reflect and figure out why you feel a certain mm-hmm. way because now we have just so much information and our body reacts immediately. So it's just like being aware of that, mm-hmm. watching the social dilemma. Yeah, limit um, non-essential information. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, just I think just like being aware of like how your body processes emotions makes it easier. Like when I learned all this information, it just made it easier for me to be a bit more aware, to be like, my body's just hypothesizing do I actually feel like this right now or is it something else mm-hmm. happening in my body? Is it hunger or am I actually angry? Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, so our social media is done. Yes, so if you want to find out more about these kind of things, follow us on Instagram at this is the stupid question, but on Twitter at TIESQB. And if you have anything to say about this that we've said wrong, because I'm pretty sure we've if you are an emotionologist, <laughs> please let us know what an emotion is. <laughs> It'd be nice to have you on here to yeah, explain. That would be great, actually. Um, you can teach us what an emotion is by emailing us at um, this is a stupid question, but at gmail.com. So tune in two weeks from now and actually like w- consider this a three part series, if you may, mm-hmm. um, where we're going to talk about what I do and we're going to, well, not specifically, but in terms of like the general field of research mm-hmm. that I work in and then the general field of research Amy does. And then to like wrap it up, wrap it up, we're going to have our supervisors on and we're going to talk about what PhD is and what academia is like. Um, so I guess to kick it off two weeks from now, we're going to talk about what is the powerhouse of the cell, which is related to what I work on. So that's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We don't have to do that much research for it. Hopefully, one would hope. (laughs) I know what I do. Um, But yeah. And also tune into the episode on first time films Mm -hmm. that we're going to be on. And as well as in general, just check out the podcast is very cool. Yeah, that's exciting. We're going to be guests on a podcast. (laughs) Are we famous now, Amy? Well, I mean, 
David, who hosts First Time Films, is my cousin. So I don't <laughs> tell them that. <laughs> Why are you revealing our secrets? <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, we'll see you in two weeks then. Yep. And you'll probably hear our voices twice this time. Mm. We're two episodes out. Lucky, um, lucky yeah. then. Lucky you. Yep. So we'll see you then. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>